Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're here with us. Thank you that you have you've spoken to us. Uh, thank you for those for those words and, and impressions. And Lord, as we always pray here, Lord, what is what is of you? May that may that stick. May that land. What is not of you, then um, may that blow away. But but Father, we pray even even now as we as we move into this time of reflecting on on your word and the scriptures that you would speak to us, God, and that uh, we would we would hear you. That we would have a, a revelation of your goodness and your greatness. Yeah, may your spirit even even move in this place. May that may that river of your spirit move in this place, uh, whether whether um, people are here in person or watching online. Thank you, Father. Amen. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny this morning. I have uh, been you know we've been going through Exodus, and I'll get into it in a second, but. Uh, this has been this verse that has really stood out to me as I've as I've been reading it, and it's when uh, God gives Moses this mission to go on, and then Moses says, you know, Moses is reluctant, and he says to God, um, "Oh, don't send me. I've got uncircumcised lips," and you know that's pretty uncomfortable imagery, but that's sort of how I, how uh, I feel sometimes. It's like like what we've got in here in in the Bible. This is incredible, and the more I get to know it, I go. Who am I that I can actually speak speak what's in here? And so I'm like, oh Lord, just what may you speak through this time, Lord? May you speak. Uh, also, yeah, warm welcome if you're visiting this morning. Um, I just wanted to uh, just want to pray a blessing on you. Um, you're, you're welcome here. Pray your blessing. So, Lord, for the people that are here for the for the first time and visiting, Lord, may may you bless them and may may they know your goodness and your presence, Lord. May they go out feeling feeling refreshed and encouraged and built up, Jesus. Amen. All right. I think my uh, my clicker is going to go is flat ba- going to go flat batteries in a second, but I'll I'll give it a nudge until it goes. Sean, just that's just a heads up for you. Cool. Can we get my PowerPoint up? Uh, you might have seen the news. There's uh, there's some good news. Don't worry, that's just a caravan. I'll, uh, it it kind of connects with the talk. It doesn't really. Don't worry. I just like it as a caravan. Um, Anyway, don't worry about the caravan. Uh, let's focus on this. You might have seen the news, the good news, that Britney Spears is going to have an interview with Oprah Winfrey. Uh, I don't know um, if you remember Op- uh, Britney Spears or Oprah Winfrey, but <laughs> Britney, Britney Spears, she was a pop singer uh, from about 20 years ago. Anyway, um, she, wants to tell, she wants to tell her truth. She wants to let the world know her truth. And we hear this phrase quite a lot, don't we? This is my truth. And uh, in our world, like the most important thing is to be like is to be living your truth, or to be true true to yourself, to own, to own your truth. Right? Is this kind of sounding familiar? Sound like something you might hear? I hear it all the time at university. Most important, live your truth. Right? And um, and I googled it, and I shouldn't have, but it turns out that you can you can actually dress your truth, so you can get a wardrobe, you know, according to your truth. Uh, there's only five options. So um, so anyway, um, don't look that up. But but what it's sold it's sold to us this whole this this message it's sold to us is is this is the way to fulfilment in life you know like the the way to be happy, the way to be free, and and I, and I agree to to the extent that yeah it's really important for us to be people of integrity right, um, to to live according to what we believe to be true, uh, to not be hypocrites you know, 
But what if, what if what we believe is not the truth? Then what happens? All right. Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then earlier, earlier in the same gospel, in John's gospel, he says, he says this, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's interesting. Yeah, he's not talking about like my truth or your truth. He's talking about the, the truth, the truth. And rather than being something that's subjective, this is, this is objective, something that comes from, from without us, you know, outside of us. The truth is objective, and knowing the truth comes from God and Jesus. And even just in these two verses, Jesus, Jesus puts four, at least four concepts together. The way, and he's talking about the way, the way to the Father, the way to, the way to God the Father. He's talking about the way to eternal life, which is, you know, we talk about this a lot, but it's not just something that's, you know, in the future when we die, but, but it's, it's the way of life now. He talks about the truth, the truth, as in the truth found in Him, His words, His teaching, His Spirit. He, he's talking, he talks about the life, eternal life. Life as God intends it, uh, in contrast to death or, or living death, and also freedom. The truth will set you free. And Jesus, really interesting in this passage, Jesus contrasts this with slavery that comes from sin. So truth leads to freedom, uh, sin leads to um, slavery. So rather than, finding, rather than finding freedom and life by living your truth or my truth, Jesus, the author, this is uh, part of the reason why I read that passage at the beginning of the service from John, that Jesus, who's the author and creator of all things, who knows how things work, like all reality, he knows how we work, how we tick. He, he says that knowing his truth, knowing the truth, and living the truth is the way of freedom and life. Jesus knows how the universe works. Well, he made it. <laughs> he, he knows the truth. Jesus is the truth. And so sin, sin is the things that we do, whether, whether they're outward things or inward things. Uh, sin is the things that we do that are out, out of alignment with the truth. And rather than leading to life and freedom, they lead to death and slavery. All right, we've got to go back to Exodus at some point, eh? <laughs> so let's go back in time. I, you know, Jesus was 2,000 years ago, but we're going to go back even further, another 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years before that. Um, and it's important sometimes to recognise that. When we look, read Exodus, we're reading an ancient book. Ancient. It's not like reading, uh, you know, like contemporary fiction. Uh, contemporary fiction. No, it's not because it's non-fiction. Yeah. But we're reading an ancient book. So we're going back to the, into the Exodus journey of the Israelites. So I'll just, you know, go, uh, kind of go back over the story a little bit. The Hebrew people, they've been liberated from slavery in Egypt by the, by the hand of God. Exodus literally means the way out or the road out. Like we get words like exit. The way out, the way of leaving. And God leads these, these former slaves and uh, there's probably more than a million of them. And he leads them 
uh, to the world, through the wilderness, to the to the mountain, to the Mount Mount Sinai, the mountain of the Lord. And there he meets with them, and he makes this astounding promise in Exodus 19. Um, Zoe unpacked this a bit last week, and then I talked about it the week before as well. Exodus 19, uh, verse five. Oops. Um, yes. Wow, isn't that nice with the light on the screen, eh? I couldn't have made slides any better. That's beautiful. Thank you, Lord. Exodus 19. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So the the Lord, God, Yahweh, is going to take this, this ragtag bunch, a million of them, of, of slave, former slaves, and he's going to form them into a nation. I think that in itself is just astonishing. I'm going to make you a nation. More than that, you're going to be a holy nation. Holy because God himself will be dwelling in their, present, in their midst. His presence and his presence is going to inhabit a tent that they're going to make for him, a tent specifically built for him. Exodus, Exodus 29. Sorry, I keep turning around because I can't actually remember what I put on the PowerPoint. <laughs> Exodus 29, 45. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. I will dwell among the people of Israel. Are we, we sang that song. I love your presence. I love your presence. And here in this, this, this verse, like God's promising the Israelites that he's going to dwell, his presence is going to dwell in their midst. Actually, I need to go back one, don't I? Here we go. But there's a catch. God says that all of this will happen, all of these promises will happen if the Israelites do certain things. He says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, and then all the rest follows, all these promises follow, they will be his, his treasured possession. They will be a kingdom of priests, royal priests. They will be a holy nation with God in their midst. I think about a year ago, um, Matt unpacked covenant really, really well, but I just want to quickly, in one paragraph, um, think about covenant. You know our Bibles? If you know your Bible, you've got two parts to your Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that word, testament, it's the Latin, it's the Latin translation of the word uh, for covenant. So your Bible, you've got the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And in the Bible, covenant, it's like a, it's like a binding agreement between two parties. In this case, God and the Israelites. But it's more than that. It's, it's a bit like a treaty describing what each party will do, a memorandum of understanding, a contract. But it's even more than that. It's, it's the fundamental basis of a relationship. Like, like in a wedding and the vows between a husband and a wife. I was thinking about this this morning. Like, I, I know in our society, like, um, you, know, you don't have to be married for, um, 
you know, for a man and a woman to live together. But in God's order, that's how it's meant to be because you have this covenant agreement and that gives the woman, you know, special access to the man and the man special access to the woman in all kinds of ways. Like it's a covenant. It's a covenant that happens. The covenant is a fundamental basis between God and his people, between God and his people, the Israelites. The covenant between God and his people and his people, it's so fundamental, it's so important that uh, before I talked about this tent that the people were going to build for God and he was going to dwell in that tent and the place that he, his presence was going to come and dwell was actually above this box called the Ark of the Covenant, which contained within it like the, the, the stone tablets which symbolised the entire, t- the entire covenant. So God's presence comes and dwells above the Ark. That's how important covenant is. It's so important. The covenant and the laws that God gives to Moses and the people of Israel, and, and apparently there was, there's about 613 of them in, in the Old Testament. They include the Ten Commandments. And, the, and these things, so, uh, these, things these, these commandments, these laws, it's a new way of life for the Israelites, and it's based on the truth. The truth that will set them free. Remember what Jesus said? The truth. You'll know the truth and the truth that will set you free. And, the, and this is really, really important because we, can, we often think about laws in terms of punishment. Like, you know, I know I'm speaking this one from experience. You drive out of Wellington on SH1. You drive past, uh, you know, through, uh, through Thorndon and you accidentally put a bit too much uh, heat on the gas and you might be going, I don't know, 105, 110, and a few weeks later, you get a letter, and you got a ticket, right? There's a speed camera there, in case that's so really important. Go 100. So, but we often think about laws in terms of punishment, hey? But the law, when it's based on truth, when it's based on truth and it's based on reality, it's actually showing us how to live in accordance with reality, which is the way of freedom, which is freedom. So in that you know, in, in the driving example, in the SH1 example, the speed limits are for safety. And if everybody, if we all kind of got out into our cars and we got, stuff the law, I'm going to go as fast or as slow as I want. It would be chaos. <laughs> and people would get hurt. There'd be suffering. There'd be carnage. And there'd be death. And in, in a perfect world, the laws of the land would be in alignment with the truth of God. And that day will come, you know, when the Lord, when Jesus returns and his kingdom is fully established, right? That day will come. But right now we're kind of in this weird, weird mix of things. So anyway, so God gives the Israelites the covenant and the law and it kicks off in Exodus chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments. And this is, like I say, this is the, this is the truth. This is the way to live in accordance with truth. And it kicks off in chapter 20 with the Ten Commandments, and then we find out later in Exodus that God himself, I find this astounding, God himself has inscribed the Ten Commandments upon stone tablets. So it's like God himself wrote them down, and he gives them to Moses, who then carries them and tells the people about them. And this is, this is the truth that God speaks. I'll catch up to my slides. There we go. Exodus 20. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You know all those, eh? (laughs) God says that he is the one who delivered them. That's how he starts. I am the one. I am the one who delivered delivered you. I am the one who who rescued you from the house of slavery. Uh, He's kind of just reminding them, I am the one. I am the reason why you're free. It's all by God's hand. And then there's the first commandment. You shall have no no other gods before me. So if if you can picture the scene, if you can picture in your in your imagination what's going on, you've got the, the Israelites and they're camped out at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And it says in chapter 19 that there's thunder, there's lightning, there's, there's the sound of trumpets blasting, there's a thick cloud over the mountain. And the mountain trembles because of the power of God. God is, is literally before them. His presence, you know, on the top of the mountain, literally before them. And so, so this, this, this verse, you shall have, have no other gods before me, it's more than metaphorical. This is literal. This is the truth. God is before them. Like I'm before you, <laughs> right? God is before them. And, and this, this, this first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. It's, it's like saying, don't place, don't place another God in between between uh, the Lord and, and the people. Don't stick something else in the way. And if you know Exodus and you jump forward a few chapters, that's exactly what they do. But we won't go there this morning. And the second commandment follows on from this. Essentially, this is the way I think of it. Don't make something from God's creation and worship that instead of God who created all things. God says that bad things happen when people do that. Bad things happen when people uh, worship idols and hate Him, whereas He shows steadfast love, like good things happen. He shows steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love Him. And again, like this is this is just speaking the truth, isn't it? Again, like thinking like we think about we think about laws and often think about laws in terms of you know punishment. You break them and there's punishment. But what if what if the way to think about it is like this is the way of freedom, this is the way of thriving, this is the way of reality, this is the way that's not that. This is the way that actually leads to um, leads towards death. So you think about the Egyptians. The Israelites spent four hundred years, four hundred and thirty years living in Egypt. And uh, if you know anything about ancient Egyptian culture, it's a culture that was, that was like steeped in idol worship, worshipping other gods. It was very, very, um, all through, all, in all layers of society, uh, idol worship was important. Superstitions, magic, right? 
And what was life like in ancient Egypt? Well, for some people, it was probably not too bad. But that's the thing. It was a, it was a very hierarchical society. You had the, had the top dogs. It was a divided society. But then when we read the, read the accounts in, in Exodus, you can see that's also very violent. It was evil. It was dominated by, the, by, the, by this man, Pharaoh, who was regarded as a, as a god and a king. And he was a maniac. He was an evil maniac who had ordered genocide, the slaughter of baby Israelite boys. So what was life like in ancient Egypt? It was bad. It was horrendous. So worshipping, worshipping idols, you know, having other gods and all that kind of thing, it doesn't actually lead to, to, to fullness of life and to goodness. It leads to living hell. Their truth, the Egyptian truth, was not the truth at all. And living according to their beliefs led to destruction. Sorry, I'm pausing just to figure out where I wrote this last night and um, I'm kind of recovering from a, a viral infection and I am kind of don't, don't really understand the transition. But anyway, we'll just go into it. So uh, last week, we, I trust that it was all right. Okay, last week we took communion. We took communion and we remembered that the cup, the cup of the juice, the cup of juice, the cup of the juice, that juice, because we have that juice here. Other places they just got regular juice. We got that juice. It represents Jesus' blood. We remember that that Jesus' blood is the blood of the new covenant. Jesus' blood is the basis of our relationship with God. It's the only way that we can come near to God. Again, like thinking of that song we sing, I love your presence, Lord. I want to be in your presence. The only way we can come into his presence is through Jesus' blood. Through the covenant that that Jesus' blood represents. In the Old Testament, it was the Ark of the Covenant, like I talked about before, you know, that box with the stone tablets in it. The Ten Commandments, you know, those stone tablets, they had the Ten Commandments representing the entire covenant agreement that God made with Israel. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if you've read uh, Exodus but and the rest of the Bible, but you can see, like, over and over again that the Israelites failed to live according to that covenant according to the agreement. And then eventually, in this like, great tragedy, the presence of God then like, left. God no longer dwelt in their midst. But then, but then Jesus came. But then Jesus came. Jesus, God in the flesh, fully human, fully God. And, you know, Jesus... Jesus lived according to that ancient covenant. He did everything, everything that, uh, he lived according to everything that was in it, right? He lived, he lived the truth. And Jesus, Jesus is, Jesus was and is full of joy, full of peace, full of hope, full of fulfillment, full of freedom. If you read these stories of Jesus, you'll, you'll see that the healing like overflows from him. People come near him, they touch him and they made well. He touches people and they and they you know they come to life again. 
Like all, all these things, and it's like things that we long for deep down. We go, oh, God, I want to be peace. I want to be full of peace and hope and everything like that. And this is like Jesus lived in alignment with truth because he is the truth. And, he, and this, is what, this is what his life was like. So all these things. And then the world couldn't handle them, eh? And so, like, I mean, talk, you know, he lived the truth and the world couldn't handle it. And so he, so he died. And, but his death, somehow his death, it represents our death. And, and somehow in dying, he, he takes on our sins and our failure to live in alignment with the truth. His resurrection, his ascension, and then the, and the sending of the Holy Spirit then empowers us to live to live, like capital L live, live, to be alive, fully alive. In, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, 3, the Apostle Paul writes about this, and he kind of writes about the stone tablets, and he connects some of the dots for us. And he says this, and you know, you know, Oh, sorry, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Can we like pause there for a second, eh? Like rather than rather than that covenant being written on stones. He's talking about the covenant being being written on our hearts and like this, like being like from in within us, like living out, um, living out the way to live, living out the truth. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, right? It's through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, right? Because I know I speed on SH1. <laughs> That's the worst thing I've done, I promise. It's not. <laughs> but I almost never break the law. <laughs> but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. And again, like pausing here, to be ministers of the new covenant. In the Old Testament, um, in Exodus, they, you know, the promise was for Israel to be a, a kingdom of priests. Priests are ministers. Priests, priests minister the covenant. Anyway, God has made us sufficient to be ministers of new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It's the Spirit of God that writes on the tablets of our hearts, empowering us to live according to the truth of God. Because we can't do it on our own. It's the Spirit of God who enables us to be ministers of the new covenant, the covenant of life through Jesus' blood. And the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I'll come back to that, I think. The Spirit of God is, is the presence of God within us, in us, with us, the Holy Spirit.
we're going back to is to the Israelites. Um, if you've if you've kind of heard the story before about the Israelites, and and sometimes it seems like that God was setting them up for failure. Does that seem? I don't know. Do you have that, does that kind of seem like the case? Like He gives them this covenant, the covenant, government, the covenant, and the and the laws. I was like, is it, it was impossible for them to fulfill it. Does it? Does that kind of ring a bell? Does it kind of seem like that? And um, but here's what I reckon. I reckon that the most important part of the covenant between God and the Israelites was right at that top, like the first that first commandment that we looked at. You shall have no other gods before me. I wonder if if the if the Israelites had prioritized the presence of God above all else, like they 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 done everything within their strength to have, to literally have Him before them, then a lot of the rest would have would have fallen into place. I'm sure that they there would have been slip-ups. They would have done things that, that weren't in alignment with the truth. They would have made mistakes. But God, in His, in his mercy and His grace, he, he, he still he would have continued to inhabit, uh, to live with them, to, to dwell in their midst. You know, uh, again, like I, I think I'll come back to this um, in a week or two, but the lid of the Ark of the Covenant is sometimes called the mercy seat or the, uh, the, the atonement uh, cover or the atonement lid. And it's like God, so there's the covenant in the box, and then above that, the atonement cover. And it's like God saying, I, I know that you guys, gonna make, you're going to make mistakes, but I'm going to make a way that I can still come in and have it in your midst. And he, and he comes and his, and his presence dwells above the mercy seat. Above the atonement cover. I'll try to pack that in a week time. In a week's time, I think. So I, I just wonder. I, you know, the most important thing was for the Israelites to uh, not put, not have any other gods before me. And I wonder. I wonder if we can be a people who prioritise the presence of God above all else, not letting anything into our lives that might take the rightful place of the King of Kings. I mean, when the, when the Pharisees asked Jesus, when the Pharisees asked Jesus, the Pharisees were all about keeping, keeping the rules of the covenant. They were all about it. You know that the Pharisees, um, they, they wanted all of Israel to keep the rules of the covenant, to keep the agreement of the covenant, uh, because that would hasten the arrival of Messiah. It's, it's crazy. Anyway, the Pharisees asked Jesus, they didn't realise that the Messiah was already there. The Pharisees asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? And this is what Jesus said. Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So again, I just want to keep coming back to this idea. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. He is the truth and, and he says that knowing the truth will set you free. Uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments are also called the Ten Utterances or the Ten Words. And I quite like that, the Ten Words. The letter of the law kills, but the Word of God is Jesus, is life. His way is the only way. His truth is the only truth. And His life 
is the only life. His way is the only way. His truth is the only truth. And His life is the only life. Amen. I've got in my notes here, um, check clock and check in with the Spirit. <laughs> clock says 10 past 11. I think we've got a little bit more time. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd, uh, you'd just guide us even in this moment. Guide us in this moment. Because as I was writing, as I was preparing this, I was like, Lord, where do we go from here? <laughs> I've talked about you're the truth. You're the truth that sets us free. Now what? So I've got a couple of couple of scriptures, and uh, and then I think we'll just, we'll just pray and like what you know. I've talked about the spirit of God, the spirit of God, and that's where it all it all begins and it all kind of comes from the spirit of God. Okay, John eight thirty one. I don't have this on the screen. John eight thirty one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, "If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free." They answered him, "We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free?" Jesus answered them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin." The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And the next uh, scripture I want to read is John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority. He will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. The spirit of truth. Well, do you want to do you want to stand uh, and we'll invite the spirit of truth to come?